Welcome to the Student of the Game podcast, where I sit down with successful entrepreneurs to extract the knowledge you need to increase your income and avoid simple mistakes. You learn from their failures so you don't have to go through the same thing. I hope that you find one thing that can change your life in this episode. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Student of the Game podcast. I am Tim Stone here with our special guest today, Christian Osgood. Christian, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Christian is the multifamily strategy guy. We're going to dive into that, what that means. But Christian, thank you for being here. Uh, tell tell us what you will tell me. Yeah, there's there's no us. Tell me, what what do you do? So I multifaceted, but at the end of the day, I am a multifamily real estate investor. We have a few other assets, a few other companies, uh, but the core business is we buy and hold multifamily properties. There are only two things I care about when looking at a acquisition. It is how do I own it and how do I never lose it? As long as we can answer those two questions every single time, uh, you can buy and hold anything profitably. We do that on long-term cash flowing, fixed rate, debt, rinse and repeat those principles and you get paid every time you buy anything. So how can you own an asset? Well, you have to figure out the deal first and then figure out the debt and the equity. Assuming that you don't already just have the cash, mm-hmm. deal, then debt, then equity. Now, what some people do wrong, and I think a majority of people do wrong, is they worry about the money because they don't have the money. So that's the scary part. So what a lot of people do is they'll try to raise all the capital first. I believe that's backwards because it's mm-hmm. going to limit the type of deals you can do. Certain deals only work with different capital structures. So I figure out what is the actual opportunity. Say there's a 12plex down the street for me. I don't know what the right debt structure or the right equity partners are. Cause I don't know the price, the terms, what the other party wants. I don't know what the deal is. So you start the deal. Um, that's step one, find someone who wants something other than the property could be price, could be terms, could be, they want to have a note to pass on to their heirs, could be a tax benefit, who knows, but you figure out what does the other party wants to do. You put together a deal that hits your objectives of, owning the property and then you structure the debt and equity so that you can have long-term fixed rate cash flow. Okay. So say you find a deal, a 10 plex yes. and you want to buy it. What if it's not for sale? That is fine. I've actually, contrary to most people, I've never asked someone to sell a building before. So my method, there is a 10 plex I want to buy and I want to buy all the multifamily in my market. I'd, I'd invest in Grant County, Washington. So Moses, Quincy, Freda. When I find, we actually did this. There's a 10 that we bought not that long ago. We just launched a YouTube video on it. Hmm. On a 10 I'm going to call that owner. And I'm going to tell them a little bit of my story. This is like a 45 second thing max. How do you, how do you call them? So like, like yeah. where, where do you find their phone number? Yeah. Okay. So this is awesome. So everything that you want is on Google. I don't do any skip tracing. There's no mass marketing. This is a direct to owner approach. I look on Google maps, this magical map that has every single property known to man. Um, I look in the residential areas around where I want to own for the longer roofs. Longer roofs usually means bigger buildings. Building. It's just simple, right? 10 unit building. Like the one I just bought, it's uh, two side by side, five plexes. You, you can't miss it it's in a residential neighborhood two long buildings with a parking lot. And you're like, oh, wow, there's 10 parking spots there. I wonder how many units there are, right? Uh, very simple to find on, uh, on Google Maps. You take that address, you put that into the county assessor. 
every county is a little bit different, but the core data everywhere in the U.S. is basically the same. You can look up who the owner is. If it's an LLC, you're going to plug it into like open corporates or any other free website. But with two or three Google searches, you can find what's the property address, who owns that address, what is their phone number? It's like three searches. I also have a YouTube video on that. It's like one of our most watched ones of all time because it's really that easy. You can do it for free. Mm -hmm. We'll look it up, give them a call, and I will share just a teeny bit of my story. So when I started... Um, especially if anyone listening, that's like, this is, this is how you'd start. I had a duplex in that market call on a 12 plex. Hey, I'm your property neighbor right down the street. Just wanted to reach out and say, hello. Okay. Well, what do you want, Christian? Well, trying to retire my wife, actually. She's a teacher, teaches kindergarten. COVID hit and my 10 year plan to retire her is now moved to a, she's definitely not working here next year. And, uh, one duplex at a time is not going to fix that. I was curious how you got started on a 12 unit building. I don't know how to play the game that large. And people will usually get defensive here because they're used to people asking for the sales. Like, well, I'm not selling. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I just bought a duplex. I don't have any money. And so that's yeah. not a problem. I wouldn't know how to buy it. That's actually why I'm calling. I, I want to know how you got into the game so that I can build a plan to do what you have done. How did you get started with this 12 plex? That is how the conversation works. Um, do I buy the 12 plex or the 10 plex that I call on every time? Absolutely not. What I do is I build relationships with everyone in that market. Uh, my favorite piece of math on my model, because I think it's the easiest way to buy real estate, most consistent, one call a day during the weekdays. So five calls every single week. If one person of those five, so 20% success ratio, picks up the phone, talks to you for a little bit and books a coffee meeting, you will meet with 52 owners in your market every single year. If you communicated in 45 seconds or less what your goal is and why it's important that you reach your goal and you spend the rest of the time learning about how they built their business, you're going to do two things. You're going to learn exactly how the players in your market built their business, which you're going to apply to building yours You're going to and build a relationship with them. And then secondly, you've made them aware of what your target is. If they like your goal, they're going to help you get there. I realistically, I think I get more calls from people I've talked to who go, Hey, I found a deal off market from a buddy. It's not right for me right now. You should take a look at this. It's usually I get a referral from the guy with the 10 unit building mm -hmm. for another similar property, but you do that enough times. It's a long game, but it's not that long. Cody and I buy something every 45 days. Um, you just build these relationships. You just keep them going, touch base with people, meet often, and you buy real estate. Yeah. Uh, so say you don't own a duplex on the street. Can you still call them? Yeah. So the first deal is the hardest, right? Because mm -hmm. when you call and you're like, Hey, I'm getting into real estate. There's a lot of people who want to get into real estate and a lot of them don't do it. And I know I, I teach people how to do this. It's like, realistically people come in and there's a group of people and you, you can identify people who are going to buy real estate versus people who want to buy real estate in like, 20 seconds yeah uh, there's just a mindset thing and some people will do it and some people will not mm -hmm. so generally when you get started you make that first call they're trying to identify is this one of the people who is going to buy real estate or is this one of the people who wants to buy real estate because they are two very different people that first deal is going to be harder because you have no track record and there's no proof that you can actually pull this off that being said, this is the best way to build relationships. Because if you build a bunch of relationships with people, 
you book those coffee meetings, they know who you are. The first thing you do when you close that first duplex or that first 12 plex or whatever it is that you buy first, you let them know, you let them know. And you thank each and every one of them for the advice that they gave you that helped you get to where you're at. And so if you've say you've done your first 20 meetings, you, you can be a small building. You bought your first duplex after 20 meetings. You text those 20 people. Hey, thanks so much for meeting. I actually closed a property. It's right down the street from you. I'm super excited. Thank you for meeting with me. That gave me the confidence or I applied some piece of knowledge. That's going to build so much credibility. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah. all 25 of those people are on your side. They're, they want to see you succeed. And they're like, hey, now that you close that, you need to take a look at this fiveplex. I've been thinking about selling. And it, like, it happens all the time. But that is my favorite way to play the game. It's fun. It involves drinking a ton of coffee. I'm from Seattle. That is what we do. We are famous for it. Um. But yeah, it's like you drink coffee, you talk to people, you learn, and then you get rewarded by opportunities to buy real estate. Then you just have to figure out uh, what I mentioned earlier, the deal, then the debt, then the equity. Yeah. The last two minutes there, I think, are super, super valuable. So I, I appreciate that strategy. And and the, the piece is like when I give someone advice and then I see them do it, that makes you want to give them more advice. So like it makes you want to continue pouring into it because a lot, not everybody, but I know I've met a lot of people and experienced it. Like you want to continue helping people out and pouring into them and seeing them grow. Yeah. If you like the person, especially. So if you become this likable person who's soaking up info, appreciates their time, buys them coffee, like do what you can in the moment to help them. And they give you advice and then you do it and you're successful. Like that's a, that's just like puts you further up in their mind. Like, okay, this is, this is worth my time. Like, and they kind of feel like they, they took part in your success because they did. And it feels yeah. great as a person. Well, I, I think you, um, I, I think it might've been the last podcast that you, you filmed for, but you, you've talked to my buddy, uh, Caleb Hommel. He's one of my first yep. ever mentees. This is before I had a mentee program. He literally like, he asked so many questions that we decided that we have to start building for our time. Um, <laughs> like that was, mm-hmm. Caleb was the reason we have the program. It was so fun. Cause he had no skills. I, I share this all the time. So I know Caleb's okay with me saying this, but like if there was, I learned that there was an actual level zero. I thought it started at level one, no sell skills, no real estate knowledge. He's like, I want to buy real estate. I don't have the requisite skills. He kept asking questions and kept trying and kept failing and kept trying and kept failing. He eventually bought 28 units. I think he's about to go under contract for another 24. Mm-hmm. I, I did a deal with him that I, I if he lands it, it's, one of the coolest assets I've ever seen in my life. But I am so heavily invested in him because he took the effort and asked the questions and watching him succeed on deal one, deal two, deal three, uh, looking at what I think is going to be one of my favorite deals someone does on deal four. Um, if he pulls it off, I won't jinx it. It's really fun. And I am heavily invested in his success. If he has a question, I drop everything and make sure that he can do that. And, if you get a few people who are just bigger or farther than you, who've already done what you want to do in your corner, it's really, really easy to play this game. Yeah. Well, we, we talked about that, went through it with his story. Like how do you go from DoorDash? I've, I've got no other skills other than I can drive my car and bring someone food to then owning millions of dollars in property. Uh, like the kind of the story from that. And the biggest piece was having mentorship or partners because you're just leveraging other people's experience. Mm-hmm. You're the things you don't even know you don't know. 
just have someone else on your team or in your corner that knows it, that has done it before. And if you have to pay them, if you don't have to, it's kind of great, but uh, eventually you gotta, you know, you gotta pay someone what their time is worth and that's okay. Yeah. And, there, and there's two ways to do it. Like there's a lot that we do. Uh, like, just like when I got started, it's like, if you do the Google maps thing, I mean, you get a lot of free mentorship, but they're not going to be like a dedicated mentor. Like they're going to give you advice when you call and ask. There's a mm-hmm. difference between coaching and I have a relationship who I can go to for advice. Um, yep. You can build the network for free. And I, mm-hmm. I tell everyone that my marketing team's like, stop saying that because no one's going to buy your stuff. Stop teaching people <laughs> free, right? Well, well we're, we're 10 minutes into this and it's been packed full of value. And this is free. Your YouTube channel's free. There's, there's tons of stuff. It's all out exactly. there. Just share the, share the stuff. It's like if, if someone wants individual coaching like i like i want to go through underwriting on every single deal you're going to need to likely if you're working with someone really good they're probably really busy you're probably gonna need to pay for some of their time if, if you want hand holding if you want advice though or you want to talk strategy on how to play the game find someone in your market who's done what you want to do and meet with them because that information is free i, I think that is something mm-hmm. that people sometimes miss is they think they have to buy a mentor when they're not at that step yet or they just like some people just are like, yeah, I'm going to figure it out by myself either way and make my own mistakes. It's like, you probably don't need a mentor if you're going to make your own mistakes. Um, that's, and that's fine. Uh, figure out what you want to know. If you want advice and you want access to people, like if you want just general, like, Hey, if I have a question, best people are the people in your market, not online mentors or whatever, because mm-hmm. your, your mentor, like if, if, like Caleb's in California. If his goal was, how do I get connected to the best lawyers and property managers in Texas? How the heck would I know? Uh, that's right. not my thing. If he wants <laughs> yeah. someone to help him, ask people in Texas. <laughs> exactly. So I think this the free method is what a lot of people don't do, and it has the best pieces. If you're trying to build your individual strategy, you cannot skip that step. There are people in your market who can help you. You have to have those relationships. Mm-hmm. So there's so many ways you could do your first deal and just getting information from people that are doing deals where you live is an important piece. That was important to me too. But when, when I first moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, they had just started a real estate club at the university of Tennessee, Chattanooga. And the biggest piece for me that I got out of it was meeting people that are investing in real estate in Chattanooga. And instead of just hearing all these stories and reading these books of people who you know, bought a bunch of real estate in the 80s and now they're rich. Like, cool. But a lot of the principles are the same. It's great. But this guy that, you know, bought a deal two miles from campus and made $40,000 and used none of his own money out of pocket. That is, that is information that really gets the gears turning that I can do this. And that's important. Yeah. And I think the last piece there is it just becomes more real. This is true when you do anything new, especially as an entrepreneur. There's the like, hey, I believe this can happen. And there's the I'm watching it happen with other people and I know it's mm-hmm. real. Uh, there's a difference between con- concepts to like, okay, this is going to happen. And I think a big piece is when you're just around people who are doing it successfully, it becomes real to you. Mm-hmm. And that guy that you met in your market who made 40 K on a, a deal using none of their mm-hmm. own money. It's like, okay, especially if you're, especially if you're young and like 40, if 40 K is a ton of money, Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're getting started, it's like, uh, wait, forty thousand dollars right now would be life changing, and I just saw someone do this, and yeah. it's in my market. And, I know and it, it was a it was a refinance, and he kept the property too. So oh, that was like, 
<laughs> you know, back I in 2020 that. when that was still possible. There is a or time. 20, that was 2019, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. I got I I had done like a like the live and flip house hack thing, but I didn't really start investing until 2020 was my first like real investment property. So that's awesome. 2019. Yeah, that's when when I first met people that were actually doing this back then. And, and that's like the confidence is an important piece. You got to have confidence to do things that are really, really hard. And the way you gain confidence is being surrounded by, you know, uh, like you, you can encouragement. Like I've heard that encouragement is just borrowing courage from other people. So this guy, this guy's got a lot of courage to do real estate. He's already made money. He's got 40 K and still has the house. So mm -hmm. I, that, that is encouragement that, you know, builds courage and confidence to, well, I could do the same thing. Like worst case scenario, I, I identify this property. And before I do anything with it, I ask the guy because we built a relationship. You know, it, it's not a, not rocket science. I'm actually not that smart. <laughs> oh, dude, that's, that is true of everyone in real estate. I know like three people who are like super smart in real estate. Um, mm. <laughs> a lot of college dropouts. Dude, ton of college dropouts. I actually went through the whole college thing, but I'm one of the, the, the minority uh, in that group. Um, and it does, definitely does not make me super smart. If anything, uh, I think the guys are like, oh, wow, wait, I don't need college and figured that out earlier. Um, likely the smarter ones. Yeah. What did, what did you go to college for? Uh, I went to call it, oh, funny enough, business management and operations. And okay. here I am with three core companies doing business management and ops. But I can say for a fact, I have used zero. I'll take that back. I've used one thing for all of my four years of college. I had one professor in passing say something that okay. I've, I've kept. I don't, we're we're going to we're gonna save people four years. What was the one thing? Yeah. So the one thing, and he's like, this was um, entrepreneurship 101. Is like find the thing that you could be the best in the world at, and do that. Like there's people who are like just pursue their passions, or they they go like, oh yeah, they, like I want to do whatever. It doesn't mean you're going to be the best in the world, but it's like, what is the thing that you actually could win at? Like you could be the best, whether you love it or you're just like eh, I'm good at it. Like focus on what you're good at, and that's what I ended up doing with real estate. And then I fell in love with real estate. But like when I started, I was like this clicks creative finance clicks math clicks and i've only ever been good at sales so i'm like okay we have a thing that is high on sales negotiation it's the largest asset class in the world is real estate um it made sense to me i was like i could be really good at some aspect of this and as we started playing the game what presented itself with my relationships as i met my primary business partner cody davis was creative finance. I watched how he built his thing. I'm like, this clicks. We could be the best at structuring deals that are simple, repeatable, and outside of conventional finance. That is the thing. But it took me eight years after college to find that. I was looking for it because mm -hmm. of what one professor said. Um, other than that, nothing from college. Zero value. Okay. So for those who uh, want to skip four years, um, yeah, just watch a YouTube video. Or uh, listen to this podcast for the, the one or two tidbits that those who went to college uh, actually got. Yeah, I, I was going to say, how do you figure out what the one thing is? Like you you spent a while searching for it. If, if I'm in college and my professor tells me that, I'm not going to immediately go, oh, yeah, creative negotiation of, <laughs> uh, you know, buying multifamily assets. No, it's a uh, man. What is the what is the way to describe this? I've never this is fun. I haven't shared this on a podcast. This is new. Uh, I, I get that a lot and I'm very proud of it that uh. 
I hear the 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 phrase. I've never shared this on a podcast. So let's go. Let's hear it. Yeah. So what that does is it if you're going okay, what am I the best in the world at? If you know that that is the question, you're actively aware of it when you're going through things. So mm. like my journey. I went out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I started, uh, funny enough, screen printing t-shirts. I didn't, I didn't make this one, but that was like, I, and then by screen printing, I mean like I was the apprentice. I was the guy cleaning screens for like 11 bucks an hour. Um, I went from that. I saw one of the boxes came in and it said uh, Sanmar. And I was like, the distributor, someone's selling these. Sales makes more than $11 an hour, I'm pretty sure. Um, I wonder what it looked, I literally called them and went like, Hey, I saw your name on a box and uh, I saw that you're headquartered in my hometown where I grew up. I'm trying to get into sales. What would that look like? And I sold them on giving me a, a sales job. Um, so, so, so now I've, then I, I was really good there. I got promoted through it. So I was like, okay, wh- one thing that I'm good at, I am good at sales and negotiation. I've, I've, I've proved it time and time again. So then I've kind of found a category. And then I fell in love with real estate and I was interested in the asset class. I'd continually engage on it. And I was finding that I could grasp some of the concepts faster than the people around me. I'm like, okay, so I, I have an aptitude and a skill for this and I'm developing a passion for it. And so you just kind of keep chasing it until you really narrow down. Like right now, I think the thing that I'm, I am just really good at, and this is between Cody Davis and me, so I don't get all the credit, but as a partnership, I've never seen anyone make creative finance simpler. Like mm. we, we say the same things all the time, but uh, the pieces, you have two questions. How do you, how do you buy it? How do you never lose it? Uh, what I shared earlier, like how do you buy it? Deal, then debt, then equity. How do you never lose it? Long-term cash flowing, fixed rate, debt. We've distilled buy and hold down to uh, buy and don't lose. So I'm going to say mm-hmm. you can't simplify it more than that. And we can repeat that again and again and again. Simple clauses. I don't do anything super creative. I don't syndicate. I don't use subject to. Not because they're not viable strategies. It's because they add steps. Simple, simple, simple strategies. You can repeat again and again and again to buy real estate. Um, and that that ended up being our thing. And I'm like, I can teach this. I can talk about it. I can implement it. We're good at this. Um, it just took eight years of refining. Take the mm. steps. I'm good at sales. I like real estate. I bought a property, started working for the co-star group, so learned commercial. But I think it's just kind of keeping in mind, what am I good at? Where could I compete at? And then actually getting out and competing in those spaces. If you think you could do sales and you're kind of interested, get a sales job and just see how you compete. If you suck, you know that's probably not the thing. Yeah. You you, you could learn the skills, but uh, what, what I was going to ask is, how would you make that quicker than eight years? knowing what you know now. So yeah, you wanted to find the goal faster than that and implement faster. That's something that I took a long time to learn, which is why I'm eight years older than Cody and Cody and I are in roughly the same place. The, how would you best implement this? Great question. Okay. Easiest way to implement. I'm going to break this down as simply as humanly possible. Um, Time to decision. I knew that I wanted to invest in real estate in 2016. I asked too many questions and I tried to build too much of the business before going into business. So you need to simplify it into how few steps can I take to go from A to B. If you want to be a real estate investor and you read a book on it, you're going to see 
property man, you need a property manager, you need a lawyer, you need your team, you need your broker, you need to figure out your capital, you need to learn how to raise capital. And the list goes on and on and on. It's just like college, actually, going back to that analogy. Let's see how many steps we can add and how many non-related classes you need to take to become a real estate investor. Um, what do you need to be a real estate investor? You need to buy real estate. As soon as you've bought real estate, congratulations, you're invested in real estate. Had I simplified it that much, I would have bought that first duplex in 2016 and I could have bought it in 2016. Mm. I read too much and overthought it. That was the big delay. I knew what I wanted to do. And it was either a lack of courage, a lack of knowledge, some combo of the two. It didn't happen until 2020. So I lost the first four years right there. You can distill it. You're not going to find it out in five minutes. You're not going to sit down and go, what am I the best in the world at? I'm now LeBron. Mm. Like that's not, <laughs> it takes a lot of practice, right? Um, it takes a trial and error, but you can definitely distill it by taking your time to decision-making to a minimum. Go, how few steps can I make between me and my goal? Let's hit the goal and learn along the way. And I think if you take that mentality, um, they call it a ready, shoot, aim model. Where it's mm -hmm. like, I know what I want to do. I'm going to fire. Let's see how far we are from the target and adjust as opposed to ready, aim, fire. Because that aiming takes a lot of time and I've found it's less efficient as mm -hmm. an entrepreneur. Yep. Yeah, you can... It's it's kind of sad, but like, especially in RIAs, like, uh, what is it? What is real estate? Like real estate investment association or alliance or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why specifically Ria's, but you meet a lot of people that have been members for 15, 20 years and haven't done a deal yet, which is weird. It's really weird, but it, there's so many different directions you can go. Like you can wholesale, you can do seller finance, you can do multifamily, single family, you can do sub two, you can flip, you can, you, know, you can do hard money, you can do all these things and they all work. Every one mm -hmm. of them works. That's what messes people up. It's because it makes sense. This works. I'm going to try it. Oh, well, I didn't get success this quickly. And we had another meeting this month and this guy does mobile homes. So, so like you, you oh, can get, yeah. you get sidetracked. So, so just pick a lane. Like how, what would you say is the best lane to pick? I like, well, I'm super biased. My company is yeah. called multifamily strategy, uh, multifamilystrategy.com. Check it out. Yeah. Um, but like when you're, Picking your lane, like for me, multifamily is really stable. And, and for the same reason, I like mobile parks. Because in a down economy, like what are you going to do? Downgrade from a mobile? Uh, downgrade from class B, class C? Really, realistically, mm -hmm. class A has some risk because lifestyle mm -hmm. can decrease, especially in declines where like tech is the first thing laid off. If you're relying right. on your Microsoft job for your $4,000 rent in Seattle in a penthouse, uh, I'm sure it's a heck of a lot more than that. But you can't afford that. Other than that, like your standard run-of-the-mill class B multifamily real estate has got to be the most stable. Uh, doesn't mean you can't win in other verticals, but I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I, I don't think the financing matters at all. It's find the deal, find the debt, find the equity. You can take these out conventionally. You can take them out with partners. You can take them out by yourself if you have money. I think people should not overthink that at all. If there's an opportunity, like there was for Cody and I on our 38plex, I'm like, I absolutely believe that there is a extra million dollars of upside after we pay out investors on this deal. If you could raise 300,000 to make your investors a 2X on their money and make yourself a million dollars. 
everyone is going to find the money for that deal. If you look at that, you're like, I will mm -hmm. find it somehow. I don't care how I'm going to make my first million dollars. If we close this, you will close it for a million dollars. And we did. And we made our first million there. And then we've repeated that again and again on other properties. But like that was one transaction that was on market for 13 years at the same price. We didn't do anything crazy. We just structured 13 the years, 13 years. Cody was eight. Wow. But it was listed for $2 million. We bought it yeah. for $2 million. Is, I, is Cody 22 now? Or Cody's 20. Can't do math while the camera's rolling. No, that's fine. Cody's 23 now. 23. Okay. Yeah. So I would have been seven. Yeah. So yeah, when, when you guys were kids and I was a uh, teenager, uh, like learning this stuff, this opportunity was there. Now, granted, yeah, there's no way it was worth $2 million when it was listed. It was a negative one cap when we bought it. It, it, mm. and people okay. get mad. Economist people get mad because like, you can't have a negative cap rate based on the losing money. Equation, <laughs> you, if it loses money operating, it would be a negative cap rate. Uh, for those who want to disagree, they can they can they can post stuff in the chat, and this video will do really well. Um, yeah, but, yeah, comment please. Yeah, yeah, comment, well, please. So, so, so let, let's break that down first. Yeah, how did you? raise three hundred thousand dollars for it also how did you raise three hundred thousand dollars for a deal that's losing money yeah oh, before before that uh yeah so the deal itself had a few problems and with it most of the opportunities are gonna have a problem the, the only question as an entrepreneur is am i the one who's going to fix this profitably like someone's gonna make money on it but you have to solve the problem not every problem is your problem uh this one was our problem so it's middle of COVID. There's like a million programs for government assistance for people not paying. The mm -hmm. problem with the building is that they filled it with a bunch of family members and just like homeless people who have not paid rent. So their collections were less than 66%. We had, we had a little under one third of people actually paying rent. But it was mostly occupied. Then we had units that needed to be renovated that we had the cash flow to renovate out of the rest of our general business. So I was like, okay, we can we can do this out of cash flow once we fix the correct the collections. The building will pay to renovate the units and then you lease it and all of a sudden it's making a lot more money. Mm -hmm. So that was the big one is how we're going to fix the income problem. The other problems were the units that needed repair and it had some electrical and plumbing issues, but they were future problems. They were passable. They just weren't like you knew they were going to fail at some point. So we went in and said, okay, this is the opportunity. The first thing that we can do is we can fix the income and we can fix the income within the first three months. So we negotiated lower payments for the first three months. Mm. Within the first 30 days, we had almost every single one of the non-paying tenants on government assistance. We used our mm. first round of rent checks to come in because the owners had never done any maintenance on this property knocked on every single door what maintenance can we do how are your appliances and then we shipped in all the new appliances on the same day so that everyone on that campus saw the new owners care not that we have a bunch of money not that we're doing major capex the broken fridges got replaced there were people in there who couldn't afford a toilet seat and the owners never fixed it so you had like seatless toilets it was disgusting wow we came in and just did things like replace the toilet, replace the fridge, fix the stoves, bring in new stoves. 
half the non-pays just started paying. The other half, we were able to get on assistance programs. We brought yeah. the collections from like 31-ish percent to 90% in the first 30 to 60 days, mm. which made it this... super cash positive. So that's how we fixed it. You also asked how we raised the money. Yeah. We just pitched that vision of... There's a simple method to this, three steps. First, don't tell people about the math first because no one cares. No one cares. People want to buy a deal. People want to own, especially invest like passive investors. They want to be part of a project and then they want to know how their money's safe. So step one, explain what the opportunity is. There are 38 units available with 200 feet of highway frontage for 55,000 a unit in a market where multifamily selling for like 135 a unit. So mm. immediately there. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes there. sense. Yeah. Price per unit there. There's obviously something very wrong here, which is point two. You take mm. everything that's wrong with it and you tell them that's the reason you're buying it. Cause it's true. That's the opportunity. This is an excellent asset except for the roof, the electric, the plumbing and the tents, <laughs> mm. which usually gets a laugh, but it's like, here is our plan to fix it. We are the group to fix this. This has been on market for 13 years. Everyone has missed this. I know we can do this. This is how we're going to fix it. When mm. stabilized, this is what the math is going to look like. We're going to have a return of X conservatively. We're going to get cash flow up to Y. And here it is. Right now, the books are absolutely garbage. And we know that and we're aware of it. And this is why we have the opportunity that we have to pick it up this low. We asked four people for $100,000. We needed a $300,000 raise. Three people said yes. One person said no. We'd never raised capital before. Cody done a little bit on one deal, but never raised this much capital. Never really attempted a capital raise. Never worked together on a project. It took four phone calls. We got it completely funded in one day. And the deal did astronomically better than we had projected. Wow. So the fact that it was on the market for 13 years and no one bought it, that didn't make you immediately say, oh, there must be something terribly wrong. It won't make sense. It was, let's figure out what's wrong. And is that the thing we want to fix? And yeah. that's how you, you, you pitch it on the problem every time. With real estate, there's always something wrong. If you just pitch something to somebody, you go, hey, this deal's the best thing ever. We love it. There's no problems. There is no way I'm giving you my money. You've missed something. Um, I mean, that, that just Good tells point. me you're an inexperienced operator. I, I, I would have thought, oh, so many other creative people smarter than me have looked at this and said no, so it's not worth my time. That's probably what I would have said. But oh, see, that's the thing. People don't look. At that's probably what everyone said. That's why. <laughs> and, and I know nobody ended up looking at it. Place. We buy all the time on market. Like I, yeah. I shared at the beginning of this how we buy off market, but that's sixty percent of our deals. The other forty percent on market listings that have been there between like a hundred days to thirteen years. Everyone's looked at it. Everyone's passed on it. The owners still want to sell it. There's some reason they're still listing it, and they're either mm -hmm. hoping for some idiot to pay too much. Or they're just like, I'm not hitting whatever my goal is. So you learn what their goal is, then you write a plan to it. That Where you get stuck is majority of people, either one, are just using the bank to acquire, which means you cannot negotiate the balloon, the interest rate, the terms are locked. You just get to negotiate on price. So that's a huge one. The other thing people do is they'll raise capital. So take like a syndication. They'll raise capital often prior to their deal which means the debt structure has set parameters on. We've already promised investors X percentage. We have all these 
restrictions on the money that we place. We've raised an X cost. We have to do some type of deal. We have deals where the cash flow is really low day one, but there's huge equity growth. Mm-hmm. We don't have payments to those investors. We have like a two to one buyout in five years, double your money in five years, but we get all the cash flow throughout those five years. Like that's a debt structure you can do. You would never pitch that to someone without a specific deal though. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Cause that's just a weird structure. But if you have an opportunity where it's like, we're going to get this at a stupid price, but the rents are really low and we're going to raise them up slowly over time. We actually love our tenant mix. Your entire compensation is going to be a large buyout in the future. And if we fail, you get all of our equity. So you get all these things at the fantastic price mm-hmm. five years in the future. You can do crazy deals that are really simple, but they're abnormal because you start with the deal first. Yeah, makes sense. So that's how you get an asset. How do you never lose it? So long-term cash flowing fixed rate debt is the first and most important thing. Um, and I'll break that down to its pieces. So mm-hmm. let's go. Let's start with cash flowing. I think that's the most important. People buy things for equity growth and they go, hey, it doesn't make money today, but it'll make money later. If you're wrong, you just lose. You can only buy so many cash negative deals and then you run out of money. Cash flow is the lifeblood of your business. If you don't have cash flow, game over. Get paid to wait for appreciation. So cash flowing, most important. Fixed rate. Boy, I've been saying this for three years and it's funny because uh, now you're right. In the last year, I'm like, wow, I look like a hero. This is just basic economics. Uh, You don't want variables. If you have a great debt product, variable rate means you might not have a great debt product. There's no reason ever to do that. So for me, you get cash flow, you lock it in with a fixed rate. And then if you have this phenomenal debt product, so say you, you overpaid for a property, but your debt product made it just ridiculous and it's worth it. Long term debt. The term of that excellent debt is the value. Like as soon as that debt's gone, that was the cool part of your deal. So it has to be long-term debt. The longer term the awesome debt product is, that whatever you negotiated, the better it is. Hmm. That's that. That's the whole thing. Long-term cash flowing fixed rate debt. It has to have all three of those. If it has all three of them, almost impossible to lose a property. So how do you get more cash flow if a deal doesn't have any? I mean, so, you, you kind of explained it, you know, what you did with that deal, but what's, what's like the, cause, cause you have a property management company operating yeah. the deals is your thing. Like what are things you do to get more cash flow? So let's say it's, so say it's, um, property is a little bit overpriced, but you can get a great interest rate. It still doesn't cash flow day one with the interest rate that you're able to negotiate. Well, or it's really low cash flow. Well, one, it's going to be hard to raise money because you're going to have to do a structure like I mentioned earlier where you pay out an equity multiple later. And it's usually going to be a lot more expensive than if you just paid monthly payments um, and interest or distributions. Another thing you can do, Caleb invented this and I love this model. We've done the lower payment things. It's what we did in our first thing where you have six months of lower payments and then it scales up. Caleb did no payments. We call it the Hommel hack for Caleb Hommel. Uh, my favorite play. He's done it on multiple deals. It doesn't cash flow day one. I need to get the rents up. It's going to take me six months to get the rents up. I'm just going to not, you just pitch like, I'm not going to pay any mortgage on this for six months. It doesn't accrue. It doesn't, uh. 
It just literally is like, yeah, um, I can give you your price. I can give you your interest rate. You say yes to everything they gave you. So if you've negotiated everything out, they're like, hey, I want uh, I want a million bucks. I want 7% interest. Uh, I want it. I'm fine with the 10 year note. And um, I want us to close in a month. You can just say, yes, I am absolutely down. All of those things work. The way this is going to look is I can start making those payments. Once I get the rent up, we will take it over. You'll get the down payment on the property. In six months, those payments will start. But you say yes to every one of their terms. It is hard to decline that when they dictate the terms and you say yes to all of them. Yeah. And you just give a, this is how we'll get there because well, I can't lose money on the way. We didn't even talk about that. But the the part that's so cool about that is if they say no and you walk away from the deal and everything falls apart, it's going to be another six months before they close anyway and they're just not going to get paid for six months. It is. So it makes sense. Strategy. Yeah. Caleb just took our strategy on that 38 of uh, we st- they, they wanted $10,000 a month payments. That was the thing. No one ever offered it to them. No one ever asked what they wanted. They wanted $10,000 a month to retire on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're like, okay, well, as we're scaling up, we really can't go beyond seven until we fix the corrections. So we just had six months at $7,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And then it scaled up. And Caleb listened to that and then took his own practical application. He's like, okay, well, if I can't do that, what if I just don't have payments? So he just banked. And these are like, you know, mid-sized multifamily deals. There's some actual money there. Uh, mm-hmm. He just banked all of the mortgage payments. And then by the time he hit month six, he's like, well, the property's made more than I thought they would. So I just have like a huge reserve. That's not, <laughs> a, bad, he, not a bad spot to be in. Yeah. By the time he started paying his mortgage, uh, the tenant's rent was renovating all the units. And so he got he got a bunch of renovated units just out of his deal structure. He basically got to start with per per transaction he did 10 plex and an eight plex with that um, he got like two free renovated units in each building just based on deal structure and again remember the main thing is simplicity that is a very simple custom clause right it's not it, like doing something like that with the bank would be so complicated but this is literally like i'll pay you this price over this amount of time this will be the monthly payment i can't make that monthly payment until Obviously, the rents are high enough to pay you. Like they know where you're going to pay them from. Like I'm, I'm not coming out of pocket. Like the property, it's an income-producing property, so it just makes sense. Hard to get to know on the I will, back. <laughs> I will increase the income so I can pay you more money. And not everyone's, everyone's going to say yes, but like it, it makes sense. And there's one more piece of psychology. They were the owner of the property. So you're aligning uh, outcomes with objectives. They want higher, you you want high enough income to pay them. They now feel like they're invested in the property, right? Because you're like, I have a metric I need to hit to pay you. They can look at the numbers pretty easy and go like, okay, if this person pulls this off and they increase the rents, my collateral's now gone up. Like the asset makes more. So it's good for the collateral. And now right. it's like, as the property does better, I start getting paid and I get paid at the rate that I wanted to because I said yes to this. It's so easy to get a yes to. I just thought it was a genius strategy, but that is one of many ways you do like a basic tweak. It's, it's kind of that, that Rob Kiyosaki, uh, rich dad, poor dad way of thinking of instead of uh, what makes it work. Or like asking how, how it's yeah. Instead of, I can't do this. It's how can I do this? Yeah. It's not a, Oh, the deal works or doesn't work. It's like, how does it work? And sometimes it's not negotiating lower interest. Sometimes it's 
negotiating the correct staircase to get to the interest that they wanted. Yeah. Like, could and, the deal sustain what they want? Let's pitch them what they ask for with a path to get there as opposed to just locked in terms day one. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason they would say yes is because it'd be very easy for them to get the property back if you stop paying them. Oh, yes. So and that say you put so they know like, OK, six months, we're not going to get any payments, but then we're going to get everything we want. This person buying my property is going to do everything he can to make sure he can make those payments. Yes. If he doesn't, we just get you know six months of work put into it to increase the income, which you know hopefully it's at least going to increase. Ideally, it gets high enough that he can pay me what we want. And nothing's a problem. Worst case scenario, they do everything they can to increase their rent. They can't pay me. I take the property back, and now it makes more money. Exactly. And if you want to do it at the two hundred one level. Uh, you can do these transactions. There's two pieces of paper you can do it on. You can do it on a land contract or you can do it seller financed. I think Caleb actually did his, they were conventionally seller financed mm -hmm. uh, without going super deep into each of them. Uh, titles conveyed a little bit differently. It is easier for an owner, like the prior owner, who is now mm -hmm. the seller financer, to foreclose on it. Well, they don't even foreclose. To take back the property on a land contract, they can do it through non-judicial foreclosure if you fail to adhere to the contract. So if you miss a payment, they can take the property back without having to go through the whole court process. It is a good, in my opinion, it is, if they're worried about like, oh, I just don't want to have to foreclose on it. It's really easy to pitch them on like, okay, let's do this as a land contract. That way, if I miss a payment, it's going to be very, very cut and dry for you to say, hey, it's a breach of contract. You get the property back without having to go through the full foreclosure process. What's a land contract? So land contract is also called contract for deed or okay. a, a sales contract. The the podcast friendly way to say this is a, like to, to conceptualize it. Your car payment. Mm. Bank continues to hold the title. You get the title after you pay it off. That is basically what a land contract is. You both show up on title. You as the owner have equitable title and the seller holds legal title. So you have all economic control over the right to sell, operate, manage, collect rent from the asset. But they hold the legal title, which is usually an escrow, which is transferable as soon as the contract is executed. In a seller finance transaction, it is exactly like a bank deal um, for a piece of real estate, which is like a general. You go to the bank, you get the deed uh, backed by it's a, it's a deed, a promissory note and deed of trust. So there's mm -hmm. a problem note that says I promise to pay and it's backed by the deed and you are the only one on title. That would be a judicial foreclosure to take, land contract, but they operate the same way. If, right. if you ever get confused so, on it. So it's instead of a lien, which now if there's some finances, it's probably also a lien, but they're just on title with you instead of- There's actually no lien, lien created. Okay, yeah. no lien created when they're- on title with you exactly the for, for the for the land contract yeah okay makes sense yeah so that might be too uh, you know if you guys are listening to this i apologize if that's if too heady the yeah. easiest way to think about it is uh seller finance is like the seller is the bank on your house mm -hmm. and a contract for deed is like the bank on your car that is the easiest way to conceptualize gotcha. it Who's holding it's, the contract and it, how did they get it, back? it's funny because all the real estate financing makes more sense to me than buying a car <laughs> i know but for most people they can wrap their head around yeah. it They're like if i don't pay my car payment 
They don't foreclose. They just send they someone take to take it. it. It's exactly like that. It's in the seller's favor on that front. Um, but it's, a, it's another clean way, easy way to do it. Also, if you're trying to do something where you don't place a lien on title, you open up some different debt options on contract for deed. Those are the main things. For, for those who are into subject two, that is a clause on a contract for deed. That is how you're circumventing the bank. Yeah, also, why sale. I'm not a fan of subject two, but that is that is uh, specifically, it is a clause in that type of contract. Okay. That's fascinating. We You can like really get in the weeds with a lot of this stuff. Is all of that, do you need to know all of that? No, you don't. You, don't, no. you need to buy. Yeah, find a deal and then figure out how to close it. Do okay. use the tools you have. Um, I would have put Caleb's on a land contract. He put his seller financed, and it it completely works. There's no reason it wouldn't work. Um, he just needs to keep making his payments, or they're gonna have to. The seller's gonna have to go through a foreclosure process. And I've seen his cash flow. He's uh, he's gonna be making his payments. Hmm. Yeah, because it's like you can have one strategy. You kind of just use like a hammer. You hit everything, yeah. you, you hit a screw, you hit a bolt, you hit a nail. Uh, but sometimes you can just have a strong enough hammer that it works. <laughs> yeah, you can absolutely do that. But the, like, my main thing is like, uh, just buy the real estate, figure out how to close it. And you're going to figure out new ways to play the game as you play. Don't worry about the home run deal where it's like, oh, everything was perfect. I made no mistakes. It's not going to happen. Buy something where you know it's going to cash flow operate it and the next time you do a deal you're gonna go oh you know what i should have structured the interest like this i should have added this extra clause and you add it to your next deal mm -hmm. uh, that is the difference between me getting to four units with two duplexes where they're both just like stellar deals and getting to whatever i'm at now and i think it's like 150 um cody counts them i we we trade stuff around too often mm -hmm. where i actually lose count all the time but we'll say 150 multifamily units Mm -hmm. Um, like I got there in less time than it took me to buy my first two rentals because I stopped trying to keep everything completely optimized. I went like, I know this will work. I've hit all those foundations that we just laid out through this call. It's going to cash flow, long-term fixed rate debt. I put everything in the right order. I'm never going to lose the property. Let's just keep buying real estate. And then as the business grows, I come back and I tinker with stuff. I tweak stuff. I add addendums to contracts you can do so much in the future because uh, the fun thing with uh, operating agreements and contracts is all of them can be amended. Like you can fix mm -hmm. things retroactively if you didn't do it perfectly. That's true. As long as everyone agrees, then in this, in the way you're doing it, you're really building a lot of relationships. Yeah. Like, I, I was, I was talking about this on the uh, podcast with Caleb and hopefully I have a video to prove it by the time this comes out. But we're going to go skydiving with the guy we just bought a 10 unit from, seller finance, no money down. No way. Yeah. He, so it's his idea. We, we, funny story. So we negotiated the whole deal at Applebee's. And then I don't remember how it came up in conversation, but he's like, we're going to go skydiving once this deal closes. And yeah, so we're, we're going to go skydiving with this guy that we bought a deal from, seller finance, no money down, 0% interest. And uh, it's great. Amazing story. <laughs> okay. That, so I, I haven't seen those terms yet. I have never negotiated both zero down and no interest simultaneously. I've done both mm. individually. Um, that's, that, that, that's a rare, a rare thing. Yeah. How, how do you guys feel about the price? Like, it, Oh, I have so many questions. Okay. Um, how okay. is the price compared to what it's actually worth? Cause you can get super creative on that. And then 
um, how long is that debt product? Those are the two questions I have. So kind of how we came up with it was not really uh, kind of kind of use different terms than you guys use. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Shane. So who I'm going to have on an episode here soon. He told me exactly what to say. So I bought a duplex from the guy back, mm-hmm. uh, you know, probably five or six months before we bought the 10 units. And he was just selling his portfolio. He was done, had a you know successful career flipping houses, buying real estate. And he just bought a house on a golf course, ready to retire, play golf and fish. That That's what he wanted. And he had just sold like a, a bunch of properties and he didn't want to sell these 10 because of the tax bill. He, he just wanted to kind of spread it out over different years and he just wasn't ready yet. So I said to him, we'll give you that price. He won a million dollars for 10 units. In the Chattanooga market, a hundred thousand a door is a fair price. I told I I would think the bank probably wouldn't like that price around the time we were doing it, mm-hmm. um, w- which is why it was good that we did it this way. But I agreed with him. I would if I owned it, I would want a hundred thousand a door, and totally like no no issue with the price. So a million dollars. So price works, but maybe mildly over market price. Right. Yeah, a million dollars. I I didn't have any issue with the price, and I know we can make it worth more than that. Hundred percent, absolutely. So, I just did the math backwards. He was bringing in seven fifty per unit, so seventy five hundred a month. You know, take out taxes, insurance, expenses, lawn care, whatever. Figured he's probably putting like four k a month in his pocket. So I said, "We'll give you four thousand dollars a month. You make the same amount of money you're making now, except we take over the property, we take over the expenses. You know, if the roof needs to be fixed, the air conditioner goes out, that's on us. But we're gonna fix up this property." make it look real nice, make the financials look good. And in five years, we can take it to a bank, get you the price you want, pay you the rest of the money when you want it too, because he didn't want the money yet. So we're, we're kicking the, the tax down the road for him a little bit. We're able to fix the property and make it worth more so that you want this price. I have to do this to get this price. That Exactly like you said. So that's, that's the deal. $4,000 a month, principal only. And then at the end of five years, when we've paid off two hundred forty thousand in equity, and we only owe him what was it seven sixty now, and then we've increased the value, we got a pretty nice spread. We can decide what to do with it. That's not bad. It's not bad, and it got him exactly what he wants. See, and that's the thing. That's the deal debt equity thing. It's reverse engineering. Mm-hmm. It's what are we trying to build, and then let's work backwards from there. Mm-hmm. People try to get all the pieces to build it before they know what they're trying to construct. You did it all in the right order. Simple, easy. Dude, that's awesome. And he said it's a five-year balloon? Five-year, yeah. Okay. Midterm debt. Midterm yeah. debt. Yeah. So, uh, but, but the thing is, like, got him what he wanted. It made sense. Everyone was happy. And and I posted about it. People were like, oh, you ripped this guy off, all these things. I'm like, no. He, like, he still texts us. He invited us to his pool party. He's gonna go skydiving with us. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna post a YouTube video when we go skydiving. But um, that's gonna be fun. I've never there's gone. another another thing I wanted to say, and uh, just lost me, but it'll it'll come back. Um, it's gone. All right, we'll keep going. <laughs> it'll come back. It, it was it was related to like how people get the best outcome, so it happens. But you know, you guys get the point. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You, you want to make sure all the uh, all the incentives align with the uh, with the goals, and you've done that. You've hit mm-hmm. all of his goals. You've hit all of your goals. Uh, sl- I mean, slam dunk deal for you. That's that, mm-hmm. that's phenomenal. 
And so. uh, yeah. yeah, and for him, yeah, that, that seems that the big things of his big thing was uh, tax deferment. Yeah. And he, and, he just he wasn't and price. You know, quite ready to be done with it. Oh, this was the other thing I was going to get at was uh, what's their plan for the money when the sale mm. happens? You know, if they're going to take the, the million dollars and, you know, he'll put it somewhere and make 3%. Like, I, I would imagine he's making more than that by just giving him 4K a month. Someone, someone can double check me, but like, it, it, like he's going to make more money in retirement from doing it this way than to, you know, take the cash and put it somewhere safe. It's just a great deal. Deal mm. win win deals. Zero down to awesome because I, I, that's in the budget. Yeah, we paid right. like six grand in closing costs. Oh, okay. So. so this isn't zero down. No one can afford that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Caleb told me that he did his uh, zero down and made the seller pay closing costs and commission to the broker. And I thought that was cool. Caleb's Caleb's hilarious. He is, um, <laughs> he became a good negotiator because he literally didn't know anything about negotiation. So all he knew how to do was Which just communicate. What makes sense to him. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I, it's not that he doesn't, uh, doesn't negotiate the other person's stuff in. He just, he doesn't even know what to ask. He's like, I just know that I need this. So I'm just going to ask. Yeah. We need and, to, uh, people we, need to, we right. need to pay the broker. We need to pay the title company. I have no money. You pay it. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, he, I, it would, I would, on some of those, I'd be like, ah, I don't know if that's, you're going to get that term every time. Um, but like he started, that was his first two deals were the same thing. It was the same structure. He's like, I just don't have the money yet. Now he starts to offer more of those things. I looked at his new yeah. deal. He, he's offering covering a lot of the cost um, because that's the thing for that seller. He's yeah, like, he, he said I don't want any fees. He was, right. going to, he was going to the closing table with $300 in his bank account, and he had to pay you guys for coaching. <laughs> I, do you know what's funny? I never called him out on this. Well, I've... I, I, I've made fun of him, but I've never called him out. It's like, uh, his, yeah, he said it on the pocket. His card kept declining. It, it it would decline every like two of every three months. I never bothered him about it. I was just, I appreciated that he was making things happen. Mm. Uh, but man, that was funny. I'm like, how do you not have three hundred dollars? Go yeah. DoorDash. Well, that's a that's a great story that you can you can get into real estate when you don't have three hundred dollars. Yes, and he played the game for he's like a year. Uh, maybe a year and a half. I don't think he's a year and a half in. I think, I think he like said he, he said eight months ago he bought his first deal. My so goodness. What, okay, whatever, so whatever time before that he started working with you guys. I can say for a fact he has three hundred thousand or three hundred in his bank account. Like he he has his three hundred dollars. Uh, yeah. He, he, I, I looked at his cash yeah. flow. I looked at his some of his business stuff. It's like he made his business. I, I thought it was a, a year or more. He made his business in eight months, and he lives off that. Mm-hmm. He still doesn't have a job, but he doesn't DoorDash anymore. Like, yeah, that's ridiculous. He just talks about real estate and buys real estate. That's all he does. And he went basically straight from high school. I think he did like two months of college, dropped out. It's ridiculous. Like it, it's completely repeatable. If, if Caleb can do it, anyone can do it. Cause that is, that is a true starting from ground zero. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like from, I, I, I talked about the point, like he didn't have any, income producing skills other than I can drive a car and bring you food and went from, went from that to owning real estate. Yeah. And he's, he's, he has a, um, he has one other skill that he might not have shared. 
I've I've not seen people with the amount of tenacity he has. He used to be mm-hmm. a, a baseball player, and he was not even all that good apparently when he started. He just outpracticed everyone. Rumor mm-hmm. has it he was like number three or four in the state for a while, uh, but like he's very good at a bunch of sports. And he's like, yeah, I have no athletic talent organically. Uh, yep. He just, he will outwork everyone. And so he, he did have that going for him. And I think that is the difference between him and basically everyone else at his age with his skill set. He just wanted it more and he made it happen. So if that's you, then yeah, you can <laughs> go to multifamilystrategy.com or just, you know, just go buy something like you, you, you can play this game. That is the difference between those who have real estate and those who don't is there is a grind, especially to get your first deal done. That is usually just going to be a grind. It rarely ever falls in your lap, but once you get good at it, it's kind of like breathing. You're just like, okay, there's some opportunities. How do we put it together? I know what it needs to be. I put the offer in, they say yes or no. They say, yes, we close it. It's like, it's very easy when you know how to do it, but to get there, like no one does it without a ton of practice. I'm curious with you, Tim, how long was it to your first deal from when you decided I want to buy to when you bought something? Hmm. When when it was very serious, like actively looking, we have, we're ready to buy something is six months. Okay. But I, I started reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and looking at properties on Zillow when I was like 16. So it was four years from then, but found the right partner. We said, we're going to do it. We're going to buy real estate. This is our intention. It was like six months. We bought 48 units. Yeah. That, that, that sounds about standard. I think most people do it within their first year, but most people will give up way before they hit their six months. Like astronomically, overwhelmingly, people will give up like two months in. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard to work for six months and not make money. Yeah, which as an entrepreneur, it's like six months without money. Like that's the most normal thing in the world. Stuff take. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like you made money in six months. What the heck? Yeah. Uh, that's ridiculous. Most a lot of the things that uh, I see people work on don't make money in their first year. But mm-hmm. as someone who grew up in the go to college, get a nine to five, that is just insane for people. Just being like. So I keep working, but I'm not instantly rewarded every two weeks. Right. That's so hard to change your life and the course of history for your family in six months. You just probably won't get paid along the way. You might. Yeah. Some people do it quicker, but. <laughs> Caleb took nine. Caleb took nine months. I took, got, well, I took eight years from when I decided I wanted to do stuff in real estate where I'm like, I want to own a rental property. But from when I like locked in, and for me, it was COVID. Like everything shut down. I was like, okay, I'm done. Um, I'm an outside sales rep who can't go outside. That's that's just absolutely dumb. When I made that decision, it was about, I think it was like five or six months for me too. I, th- I think that's probably the average. I've seen people do it in three, but it's like three to nine months, I think is what it takes to get your first deal done. If you're just like, I'm going to focus on this and get it done. Hmm. Yeah. Well, great advice all through the whole podcasts i just wanted to ask if there's anything specific you wanted to leave that we haven't covered and then we can wrap it up here um i'm gonna instead of leaving something new i'm just gonna reiterate because this is where i got stuck it's where most people got stuck if your goal is to invest in real estate just remember to buy a piece of real estate i started with a duplex cody started with a 12 plex start multifamily skip the single family if you can um highly recommend but 
if like you want to be a multifamily real estate investor, don't focus on anything other than I'm going to buy a property that cash flows. If you can do that, you're going to learn so much. It's going to get so much easier. Good. What a, what is your goal? My goal, which is always shifting. So my first goal is to retire my wife. And that was a two-year goal. And we hit it in 11 months, which was awesome. Congrats. Thank you. She actually works in our uh, property management company. Um, Retired her and put her to work. Yeah, exactly. She loves her job. She talks about that a lot. She's like, because it's, it's optional, by the way. I'm like, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I, I, I was like, you don't have to do anything in this company. I'm fine with whatever you want to do. She's like, I want to help build the businesses. And she is absolutely like all of our maintenance coordination, which is a lot mm. for what we buy is all run through her. She does so much and she loves it. So getting to do what you want to do was the goal. She absolutely does not have to work in the company, but she decided to, and it's what she wants to do. Um, that was goal one. So hitting that made me go, okay, well, if you hit that in 11 months, you have to come up with new goals. My biggest two things are one, I would like to move to Texas in the near future. Mm. I am financially able to do so. However, if you start multiple businesses in Washington state, you cannot just tell your employees to figure it out and disappear. Uh, there's actually some systems doing that I have to do. So I am in that process right now of stabilizing a few companies and making sure that everything is in order and I am able to work in and out of state. And then my other, my other main goal is this is really simple to do. And I have seen a lot of like a lot, lot of terrible advice online. I want to teach as many people as humanly possible how simple it is to buy real estate. Get out of the whole stupid YouTube marketing thing where you see a million videos of all the secrets of your finance. Like, there's no secrets. It's super easy. Uh, there's no concepts. It, it's a lot of work, but like conceptually, it's mm -hmm. really easy to buy real estate. Uh, I want to just destroy all those gurus online who are like, there's an individual strategy that will change your life. It's like, no, just like learn a few strategies that work and then implement them and then buy real estate mm. and be done. Uh, so that's my big goal. I, I, I want to see, I want to see if we can't just change the internet and make, uh, make the escape the nine to five easier for everyone. Uh, Cause I don't think it's that hard to do. Great. Where can people find out more about you, get in touch with you? What's the best place? Best place to get in touch with me is my Instagram at Christian Osgood. I'm blessed with a unique name, so that helps. Um, so literally just at Christian Osgood. I go through my DMs all the time. So if uh, you want to message me, that's where to do it. If you want to learn how to do everything that uh, Cody and I built for free, go to our YouTube channel, Cody and Christian Multifamily Strategy on YouTube. And if you want to streamline everything in a course or mentorship or just learn more about us in general, go to multifamilystrategy.com. Great. Do it. I appreciate your time, Christian. And if anyone is still listening at this point, I appreciate you listening. And we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. See you on the next one. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for tuning into the Student of the Game podcast. If you listened all the way to the end, I would love your feedback. The best way to connect with me is to reach out through Instagram. Leaving a thumbs up or a review on whichever platform you're tuning in from will really help this podcast reach more people. So if you found it valuable at all, all I can ask is that you would do that for me. Thanks. Until next time.